Welcome in to another edition of the Tabby McKag Podcast, episode 420. It's not one to blaze up to um, because we are doing this right after the Bucks' awful loss to the Brooklyn Nets. A first in Tabby McKag history, I think, doing a reaction pod. I think the last one we did reaction-wise was Murph and I, hammered drunk, uh, do, after an, doing an NBA draft podcast which is a legendary one that's in the annals of the having the keg history. We are going to talk Bucks Nets with Mitch Ross, who's on the other line here. We'll get to him in a second. Then we'll, I'll do some uh, Packers and Brewers after the fact. Packers talking about all the Roger stuff, why there's a wild card in the mix. And the Brewers, are you all at all concerned about baseball's new rules with the substances on the baseballs? But we are going to talk about the Bucs. We are going to talk with Mitch Ross. It was as bad of a loss for the Milwaukee Bucks, maybe in the last three years of the Bud tenure. Mitch, we'll get, welcome you on now. I, I think I think this is the worst loss, right? Like this is kind of a rock bottom playoff loss for your Milwaukee Bucks, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it gets any worse. I mean, ashamed, embarrassed. Um just an unacceptable effort um I mean (laughs) I don't even know where to start I mean it's just it's all bad I mean it's all bad uh game one it wasn't really in the blowout category It, it, it got close to the blowout category I think you know the final score was not as close as or was not as not indicative of, of how kind of spread out the two teams were in, in the first game. And game two was just a complete undressing um, from, from basically the get go. Um, I mean, yeah, the box, yeah. it, it's just, it, it, I, it, it's okay. So let's start with the first quarter of game yeah. two. I mean, yeah, let's, I mean, let's just, it, it's, let's, let's you just, you, just you see immediately, you see immediately how impossible it is to defend the Nets. Yeah. And, and especially when they're calling fouls, you know, PJ Tucker, who let's be honest, can't stay in front of, can't, can't guard Kevin Durant. I think that's, that's, that's huge. And it's just, it's just, we thought he could, but he has, he has no, and nobody can guard him, but then he picks up two quick fouls right away. And it's just, it's sheets right there. I mean, they're just completely discombobulated and, and I don't know if what Brooklyn is doing exactly that's so fucking complex that we can't even, our heads are spinning. It just seems like it's a pick and roll, like a pick and slip and with fucking Bruce Brown and he's nailing it. And, and let, let's be honest, game two, they made everything. I mean, they just yeah. they shot the lights out. And, and yeah, that's, yeah, the ball. You know, so I, I had this weird thought. I don't know. Probably early third quarter. I, I resorted to cleaning my kitchen. Like, I was like, I am not going to just waste. Like, I'm at least going to get something done. Like, do something productive. Like, I had yeah. up a bunch of beer. I was like, all right, I'll put that away. I'll clean the stove. I'll unload the dishwasher. Like, I'll just, I have the game on. I'm listening to it. I'm listening to Marv and Grant Hill perform fellatio on the fucking nets, which is just another story for another time. We don't need to go there yet. But, my God, it's like, shut the fuck up. And I get the nets were dominant in this game and that happens with broadcasters but it's just i don't know 
they some of the criticisms Giannis whatever and but that wasn't what I was thinking about what I was really thinking about was how this was kind of indicative of the season maybe not this embarrassment of a level but we've seen when the Bucks lose a game right they lose one game it seems like they'd always lose that second game I know we've talked about it on this show before that it seemed like they all they could not bounce back and for whatever reason they had a t- tough time bouncing back. And we asked ourselves months ago, hey, is this going to be a problem for the playoffs? I don't know. It's regular season, yada, yada. We, we said all the things, right? And this is a note to those who are like, well, the regular season doesn't matter. Well, that kind of bled over, right? Like, this, whatever happened in that third quarter where the Bucs just got in, in on game one, where the Bucs lost that quarter by 13 points, Ever since then, they haven't got off the mat. I don't understand yeah. how you come out so fucking flat in this game. I don't get it. And, and I, after one game, and I get you only had a game to prepare, a day to prepare, right? You only had a day to prepare. But I don't understand how you don't look at the tape from game one and say, we were playing Brooklyn's game. We are not playing Milwaukee basketball. We are playing a version of Brooklyn basketball. And yet again, that is exactly what they did in the first quarter. They jacked up shots. They played fast. And now the Bucs are a pretty fast team. I'd have to look up what their pace is. But they need to be a little more deliberate and take it to the lane. Brooklyn's fucking small. And you can beat Brooklyn inside. Yet Milwaukee, in the beginning of that game, refused to do it because Brooklyn was hitting all their shots, and they were worried about getting dump trucks. It's like, I'm trying to think of an example. Sometimes when you anticipate something bad's going to happen, you will kind of overcorrect it versus just letting it play out, right? I don't know if you've dealt with that. I'm sure I'm definitely guilty of that, where I kind of overcompensate. And that's kind of what I felt like the Bucks did. Like, so I know I said a lot. And I guess let's go back to my original topic. Is this just a repeat of a lot of things we saw in the regular season or is it a little different i mean this this loss is is worse than anything i saw in the regular season i mean it's <laughs> this oh, is it's, this is this goes this goes this goes beyond coach bud no i mean I, look and and i said this after game one i said you can't make bud a scapegoat yet this is not this is not a scapegoat thing this goes deeper than Bud being a scapegoat. This is Giannis and his mental whatever goes on in his head. It was clear that Brooklyn was in his head. And Giannis has to figure that out. And I don't know if that's working with a sports psychologist. I don't know if that's just maturity. Like, look, and international guys have had this problem in the past, and I don't know why. Dirk Nowitzki had this issue for a majority of his career and then Dirk figured it out and he became a new, new guy who won a championship, but Dirk had these problems too. And it, and it's, it's plagued other guys, you know, I'm trying to think of a better, another example. I mean, Chris Weber is a guy, he's not international. Chris Weber had playoff struggles. Carl Malone got to finals, but it took him a while to get there. David Robinson had, was ineffective in a lot of playoffs before Tim Duncan arrived. Tim, he, he got on the doorstep. He never finished. Charles Barkley, you know, 
there are guys like this in the NBA all the time. And maybe that's what Giannis is at this point. I'm not saying it can't change. I'm not saying Giannis can't take over and be a different guy, but there's clearly something between his eyes that are between his eyes that aren't, it isn't clicking. And I don't know if that's the way he's being coached. I don't know if that is just his personality or something that I'm not even thinking about. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, that's, I guess that's my point about it. it's, it's beyond, but it's, it goes down to the court and, you know, having, having some heart, having some, you know, it's just, yeah, they didn't show fortitude heart. and like, it, it, no, I know. And they didn't. And, and it's, you know, they are coming home for game three, but I mean, you'll probably hear a pin drop if I threw for them. I mean, most of the game, I, there, there's no hope. I mean, there is no hope. I'm sorry. I, there's just, there is no hope. It's, well, it's over. Look, okay. Whoa. All right. Let's, let's, we'll go, we'll talk about game three later. I, I, I disagree with you there. I do, because I do think it flips. You have a chance. You have a game where your fans need to bring it. And if Bucks fans don't bring it, then they're, they're Fairweather fucking fans. I'm sorry. This is a game. Well, we're screwed then. You, well, look, Mitch, you have 16,000 for the first time all season on, on Thursday night. You're going to have as packed of a house as you've had the entire year. A lot of fans have been waiting to be in the arena. And if they sit on their hands, that's, that's pathetic on their own right. Because it's sometimes you need that fa- those fans to will you to victory. And I'm not saying that, that they can be the entire difference. But we've seen some awesome Brewers crowds. We've seen some awesome Bucks crowds really play a factor and be kind of ginned up and be, be rowdy. That's what you need. You need that sort of energy. Look, Boston, as bad as Boston was, they beat Brooklyn in game three. Now, they needed Tatum to score 50 points, but they beat Brooklyn in game three. It's not to say that Milwaukee can't, can't recover, make adjustments, and win that basketball game. I am not going to yeah. lay down my sword. I'm just not. It's not the type of fan I am. I know that other people, it makes their lives easier. I get it. It's easy to just say, all right, we're gonna, we're just gonna pack it in. One, two, three, Cancun. That's fine. Yeah. But there, there's at least a chance. And yeah, maybe it goes beyond and maybe they get swept and it's a clear of the house. And Bud gets fired. Chris Middleton might get traded for CJ McCollum. I don't know. I'm just throwing a name out there. And they kind of they kind of reassess what their big three looks like. Because their their big three at this point, Drew Holiday seemed like the only guy that was ready to play today. Giannis did just it, it seemed timid. It seemed like it was like all these demons have crept back in. And it's like, why? Like, why, why have they crept back in? What, what is so scary about this? I know he looks up to Durant. I know Durant is a guy that he fashioned his game after when he was younger. Like, I, I get that. But, like, what is, is that it? Is it that? Is it the free throw counting? Is it just the fact that, holy shit, this is happening to us again? Like, what – or is it just young? Is it just youthfulness? Like, Giannis is a young dude. But I look at that and I say that, and then fucking Luka Doncic is putting up 46 points in a game seven. And he's four years younger than Giannis. So 
how do I balance that? People have different personalities. I get it. But you kind of see where I'm, I'm at right now with where, where are we with Giannis? It's possible that like, I mean, this team hasn't opened a series on the road in quite some time. Yeah. Um, and just maybe not having that luxury is, you know, was a huge issue. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm I'm of I'm kind of of the belief that James Harden being out has just has just freed Ky, Ky, Kyrie and Katie to just just go out there and get buckets, and they're doing exactly that. I mean, I don't believe for a second that the ball movement would be nearly as good with James Harden on the court. People can say what they want about his assist numbers and shit, but you know you can just watch the game and see that you know the ball tends to stick with him, and you know just it's just every shot's open and there's just, there's gotta be some intensity and hopefully when they come back home, you'll see some of that on the defensive end, but I just, man, I don't know. I, I appreciate your optimism. I, I, you know, they probably get one game at home, um, but I don't, I don't know. I, I look, I don't know. here's, here's the thing. I do think to your point about the rebounding, that that's been, I think, my most frustrating thing about this series so far has been, where's the hustle? Like that was there against Miami. Did they just exert all of their energy? Like when we talked about this series last week, and I said, you know, playing Miami would give them sort of a leg up because they played a tougher opponent. Did they just say, all right, we're going to? Just be so dialed in and so just aggressive against Miami because these fuckers embarrassed us last year. Well, guess what? These new fuckers have just embarrassed you again. So if this is what trips your trigger, if this is what flips your switch, go after it. Get it done. Like I said on the review, prove me wrong. Like this was a gutless performance. Prove me wrong. Show me that you have some heart. I don't really give a fuck if they get swept. But if they go down fighting, if they hold Brooklyn to, let's say, 95 points and they lose by two points tomorrow or on Thursday, sorry, like, okay, whatever. At least you fought. At least I can't say you didn't go down swinging. But don't just lay down. Don't just, don't just give in. That's so bad. And yeah. I, I, I get that Kevin Durant got every foul call. Fuck it. Put Giannis on him. Get five fouls, six fouls. Make a statement. Start a fight. Like like I said, Diakit Mamadou was ready to fucking throw down at the end of the game. Okay, great. We need more of that. That's what happens in hockey. I know it's a different sport, but like when it's six nothing, you know, gloves are flying. And do something to establish yourselves. And there wasn't that Norman Powell bright spot as we talked about in a show before where it was like, even in a blowout, if someone gets hot, you can say, well, Norman Powell did find himself. I guess the, the Norman Powell of this game would be Chris Middleton, right? Like Chris Middleton hit what six straight shots after missing his first eight. Yeah. And I do think those rims are kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not trying to be a conspiracy chuck here because they all shoot on the same rims. There's something off about Brooklyn. At least I don't know if it's a perception thing I don't know if it's because the lights are all on the court and that's fucking things up, but there, it just seems like there are so many like bunnies that are missed from the box 
where it makes me um, wonder, yeah. are they seeing it? Are they not seeing it clearly? You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I was going to say that Brooklyn has had this like defensive intensity that we have not seen all year. Um, yeah. They just seem so like, it's, it's like what we've seen in the playoff series losses the last couple of years where it's like, they're packing the paint and also rushing out to three point shooters. They're, you know, Giannis is getting the ball, um, bringing it up probably top of the fucking key and trying to put a spin move on. And then somebody who's guarding somebody at the three point line comes in, slaps at the ball, you know, then he doesn't know what the hell to do or loses it altogether or gets stripped, you know, and, and, um, you know, when he looks to pass, then that guy is, is immediately right back out on his guy. And it's like, Bryn Forbes hasn't gotten an open look. I mean, and he had all day in those games against Miami. And I, it's crazy. And we, I did not expect to see this type of defensive intensity. And the Bucks just, they didn't play their game at all in game two. Oh, yeah. Um, you, saw it, you, saw it for, you saw it for about, you saw it for about five minutes in game one, in the first, the first five minutes of the game. Yeah. That's, and that's they just the fucking they have, shook. They haven't played their game at all. And it's like, stop trying to be Brooklyn. Just stop. Like, play your game. Brooklyn's going to make shots. They're going to get on runs. They are too good of an offense not to get on some runs. It's going to happen, okay? But compose yourself. Get some layups. Yeah, you can't trade two for threes all the time. But you can trade a couple. You can go back and forth. And then, yeah, hit, a, hit an open three. Get a good look. But yeah, it's even if you even if somehow in in a miraculous way, the Bucks go back to Brooklyn two two. That place is kind of I won't say like it's like Toronto haunted, but it, it's starting to get a vibe of like you can't win there. And it's in the Bucks just I don't know they gotta they have to play their game and. I think that PJ Tucker can't be in the starting rotation. I think you're going to have to try with Pat Connaughton. I know that sucks. I know that's like a bite down sort of thing for a lot of Bucks fans, but PJ Tucker can't compete with Kevin Durant. I don't know if Pat Connaughton can either. I don't know if anybody can. Look, you you no, might just have can. to you might just have to put Giannis on Durant and take what's going to happen. I guess Bobby maybe Bobby Portis is the move then, and you go really big. And you go Portis into the rotation, and Portis takes Blake Griffin, and and then Giannis Giannis goes on Durant. I mean, Bobby has been awful. No, I know. He's I'm just, not. Look, he's, he's I, too I am, small to hang, and he's and he's too slow to guard anybody. I'm throwing um, I'm throwing I mean, shit at the wall, my been, friend. I, yeah, I know. I hear you. That's well, and, and that's the thing is like you see the shit on Twitter like. Oh, you know, these, these NBA, you know, guys, oh. uh, Sam, Sam Vicente or whatever that are like, uh, a Forbes Middleton Portis, uh, oh, Forbes Connaughton Portis lineup for somebody who, it's like, yeah. I mean, that might happen for 30 seconds. I'm sorry. I mean, and of course it's going to look like shit when, when nobody's making shots. My, I mean, my, not all of us have, have the luxury of, of Landry Shamit hitting fucking 25 footers with the hand in his face. Or Luke Kennard right. having 11 points in 10 minutes, right? Like, you know, yeah. sorry. Like, we had it with Bryn Forbes for a couple games. He, we, did, we haven't – we lose a guy like Dante DiVincenzo, say what you will, but it yeah. has affected the Bucks. 
it's the first. It has. I mean, it, it has, and I, 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 I'm, I stand by my, you know, my take that it's, it. I mean, they're not winning that game with Dante tonight. No. Um, probably not winning game. Maybe winning game one. I don't know, but game one might be um, a little different. But how different is it? Is it maybe? Th- is it the difference? Three points? Four points? I don't know. I still think yeah. they probably lose. Um, I also yeah. love. I also love all these Packer Twitter members who they show up every now and again with the Bucks, but now they're they're just tweeting like it's a Packers game, and it's oh, like yeah, I know. it's like guys, like I, I just there were so many bad takes tonight. Like so many people just recycle garbage that they've either heard heard on local radio, a podcast, or fucking first take, or fucking Colin Coward, who's like, "This is proof to Dame Lillard, you need great players." Like, fuck off, dude. Like you were on, like you were on the Bucks. You like the Bucks. Like there are a lot of people who like the Bucks. Like let's not get this twisted. Like a lot of people thought this was the NBA final. And I don't think the Bucks fooled anybody. I just think they got over their skis in game one and let Brooklyn sort of do what they want. And then in game two, they just decided to lay down. And I hope that this is the motivation that they need. I don't want to hear really anything from any of the players. I know, I'm sure Giannis met with the media after, I'm sure. Holiday said something. I'm sure they'll, it'll be the same garbage. There might be some, you know, Tebow-esque inspirational shit from Giannis. I don't want to fucking hear it. I just want to see it on the court. I, I don't care. I'm, I'm beyond caring. I want to see you actually do it on the court on Thursday night. And no matter win or loss, at least give me something to believe, right? That's what I'm asking for. Yeah, come out with – I mean, Giannis is such a – you know, he made, he needs to, well, first of all, get out of his own head, but that's in that entire podcast. But yeah, um, I mean, he needs to like show some emotion. I mean, you know, come out like, I'm talking like coming out for the tip, getting the, getting the crowd going, right. Like coming out for the tip off instead of, instead of, you know, waiting to, to get a dunk down the lane or something to, you know, play the crowd a bit, get get them into it. And, you know, maybe you have a chance. It's just, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 he's he's got to start making the. He's doing the. He doesn't know what to do anymore. It's it's just weird. I mean, he was good against Miami, and now he's just. I mean, I, I don't know. I, again, Brooklyn is all over the place on defense, but he's he's got to start making making some decisive passes and and, and attacking and. It, it's really, not weird. it's really weird to kind of go to Bud Corner here for a second. It's really weird how Bud seemed to be really prepared for Miami and seemed to be like yeah. really like knew, knowing every move, understanding how to get Trevor Reza on Giannis pretty easily and how to take it. And now it's like we play Brooklyn, who you knew was probably going to be on your radar next, and you had a week to prepare. And it doesn't seem like you were ready for it. And I, I agree with you that the Harden part of it, maybe he's like, I have, he probably might tell Horace, like, look, I have fucking notes upon notes on how to do this with Harden. I did not really think about what happens without Harden. That's what we're going to spend the next three day, two days thinking through and trying to make this right. Like Bud shouldn't go home. He should be sleeping on the fucking floor trying to figure this out. 
I'm not putting it all on him because I think it's more the team than him. I think if you're blaming Bud for more than 70% of this, you're just the serial, I want someone fired sort of thing. Like it's a fatal attraction. Like I'm ready to boil Bud's bunny and trying to, and trying to basically kill him. Like that's how I think people would be like I, I just think if you are that far in your head about Bud, you're, you're a lost cause. And, but to go back to it is like, yes, I don't understand how you weren't more prepared for maybe Brooklyn's going to turn on the intensity. Maybe we're going to see just a different, a different side of Brooklyn. Like we, I know it's like crazy and it's a different series, but we saw it with Kawhi. Kawhi looked lifeless for five games. Kawhi looked like a guy I, I think wasn't a top 30 player, a guy that we didn't think would be anything special. And then all of a sudden, the 2019 Kawhi Leonard appeared again. That guy just came out of nowhere. And yeah. it's like all of a sudden, everything's changed about the Clippers. And I think everybody's opinion's changed about the Clippers. And so oh, – yeah. And it, it may speak to just how dumb basketball is at this point and how nothing matters anymore until the playoffs. And I know I contradict what I said earlier about the Bucks getting whatever. doesn't matter. But that's – but it's weird that this they, people can do this now. And whatever, whatever drugs they're giving Blake Griffin, whatever HGH they're pumping him through, it's obviously working. You know, the Suns, right, yeah. Suns medicine back at it again. Yeah, fuck that, dude. I mean, no, oh, yeah. He he clearly clearly dogged it in Detroit. I mean, oh yeah. You know, I listened no. to Simmons and Rosillo or before before game two, and they talk a lot about Blake Griffin. And you know, they I think they were trying to be diplomatic about it and say, well, it's 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 easy to you know prepare when you know it's easy to go through the daily grind when you're playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie versus Jeremy Grant. And that's true, but it's like there is there is there was more to that. I mean, he wanted to get out of there and he was doing what he could to get out of there. And I mean, maybe the Brooklyn that staff is uh training staff is is next level, but I mean there's something going on and I'm not I'm not gonna accuse him of steroids or anything like no, that. But I, 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 I was more no. so more so just dogging it in Detroit to get if out of there. Can't- if we can't have at least one accusation, I mean, I've, I've also said that the TNT announcers were performing fellatio on the Nets. If like, we can't at least have a couple inflammatory statements in like a reaction pod after getting beat by fucking 30, po- oh, 40 points. Like what, why are we even doing it? Oh, it's you know like 45. I mean? Oh, whatever. It's 45. I, I think, I mean, it, yeah. it got, it got real bad, real, real bad. I mean, it was bad from basically, um, when Durant got that and one jump shot to make it 12 to seven, that was it. Yeah, no. And, it, um, and Middleton missed, I think like two bunnies, like almost right after that. And then it, all of a sudden it's like 19 to nine and you're like, Ugh. and you're like, oh shit. And then it's like, I mean, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was just bad from bad from jump street. I mean, in terms of like adjustments for game three, I mean, you probably have to roll with the honest at the five or at least try it. I mean, yeah. And maybe, I, I think maybe you try PJ Tucker at the four, um, start Connaughton as well. 
so That's a scary you, thought. But. So yeah, so you go Connaughton, Tucker. You pull Lopez. You move Lopez off into the bench to kind of give the bench sort of a infusion of offense. Slash, you can stagger Giannis and Lopez, so they're not getting Lopez in the switches because they were doing a little bit of that in the third quarter, and then yeah. and then you sort of try to see what you can do and maybe you spread out the nets a little bit, you make it a little more free flowing, not clogging the paint with Lopez. And you do that. And, and I don't look, Pat makes scares me, but he is an energy guy. He does bring energy and he's the type of guy who could be on right away and get rolling. I would like Pat more than I would say that same lineup, but Bryn Forbes, like, let's just say, I think that's too small. Forbes is also a bad defender. And I am the king of first quarters don't usually matter too much in the NBA. This first quarter on Thursday is probably the most important quarter of the season. No hyperbole. Hyper, hyperbole. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I can't believe I did that. No hyper. <laughs> no hype. Oh, man. That was bad. That was bad. I, I, like, I knew what I was going to say, and then I said it anyways. Fuck me. But anyways. I just uh, – like, it, like we just we gotta get it. We gotta go to switching small ball. That's how Boston was able to kind of hang with the Nets. I mean, it's just sad to think that the Nets or the or Boston has put up a better fight against against Brooklyn um, so far. And I think that's the way they do it. It's just roll Giannis. Tucker's a great guy to have on the court for switching. Um, I guess you know clearly we have two games of evidence where I don't feel great about him getting Durant. No, but it's going to happen and you just got to try to make it tough on people. Um, you know, um, God, those fucking ticky tack fouls to start the game. Yeah. That's... I mean, that just set the tone and, oh, yeah. and you know, you, you gotta, you gotta maybe give them, you gotta make them feel you. I think Grant Hill said that during the game and they didn't do any of that. Um, you know, a couple bullshit fouls to start the game and then, you know, really, there were no nobody committed fouls. I, I feel like the Nets had two turnovers. I mean, yeah. it just was it just was a clinic. Um, they had that one bad one where Durant like tried to hit Griffin in the corner and he cut, and you know that's going to happen once in a while. But the Bucks did not make them uncomfortable at all. And you know, I just I hope that Game Three come home with much more intensity. But <laughs> I mean. I, you know, the, you're right about like the, the Miami thing. And I thought about that during the whole series where they wanted Miami and they, and they, they kicked their ass, but they are just, they clearly don't have that type. It's not like an energy thing. I, it, I think it's like a mental thing where it's like, you know, we are just, we are not the aggressor and we are not the better team and we're just on our heels and it's got to change. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I well said. I think we'll we'll get ourselves ready for game three. We'll load up the Uzis, load up the AK forty sevens and go to war. Yeah, pretty much. And just try to see if we can play, make it happen. And play that clip play that clip on repeat, man. Fight fight till the fucking finish. And like we like we kind of said, if it they go down fighting, at least they at least they hopefully they do it with some heart. But I appreciate you joining us for thirty five-ish minutes um we're we're past yeah. your time we'll make sure to comp over time uh on your patient <laughs> uh we'll have you back thursday hopefully we're we're in much better spirits 
maybe we'll just have you over and we'll just get real fucking wasted and, and then do the podcast, see what happens. Who knows? Um, school yeah, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> but we can offline on that. Any, any last thoughts for the people before, uh, before I get going on Brewer, or, uh, Packers and Brewers? I got three words for you. Yeah. Figure it out. I like it. I like it. Good way to end. Mitchie, pleasure as always, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you on a Thursday show. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man. See you, buddy. Bye. Peace. All right. That was Mitch Ross. Uh, he, that was, I think, therapy for him. I think that I provided, you know, the couch. I was the Dr. Melfi to his Tony Soprano. Um, so I'm glad Mitch got it out. I think he will, he will feel better when he wakes up in the morning after talking to us. Um, we're going to do a little bit more because books, while important, not the only thing going on in the state of Wisconsin. Aaron Rodgers not showing up to mandatory minicamp. Color me shocked. I think everyone expected Aaron Rodgers not to be an attendee at the minicamp. Uh, Rodgers has made no bones about it that he's probably not going to do any off-season workouts. And that training camp is going to start maybe with or without Rodgers. I don't know. Um, but it's obvious that Rodgers is dug in on this. Now, Aaron Rodgers, there was a report from Peter King today, very similar to what we've heard a lot, I think, from people where it's starting to trend where Peter King basically said that the Packers and Rodgers would sit down, they agree to trade the quarterback after the 2021 season, and then they would basically transition it out and that they don't want to start with Jordan Love this year. They would do one more year. It would basically be the last dance, the football edition. And then Rodgers, probably also Devontae Adams, would be on their way out Green Bay would start all over again and it would be totally different come 2022. Now where this changes, and I mentioned this in the open, where there is a wild card to this mix and it is Matt LaFleur. So Jason Wildey uh, was on ESPN Wisconsin over the weekend and Jason Wildey said, some people that are talking are saying Matt LaFleur, Brian Gunacus, not exactly on the same page. This whole Rogers drama has kind of pissed Matt LaFleur off. Now I'm paraphrasing what Lily said. Um, so I don't want Jason to think I'm aggregating him. I'm not. But what I, what I am getting at is the fact that they are starting to rumble that Matt LaFleur is unhappy. That, that says something to me. Okay. That is a entire game changer that completely flips everything that we've talked about since April on its fucking head. Because guess what? They're going to choose Matt LaFleur plus Aaron Rodgers over Brian Gunacus. No matter how well Brian Gunacus has done, and he's done, I think, a pretty good job besides this love, this love Rodgers fiasco. I think he's done a really good job, actually. I think he's put, he's, I mean, they were in the NFC Championship game the last two years. Didn't really belong there the year prior. This year they did probably get to the Super Bowl if David Bakhtiari stays healthy. I will say that over and over again. I don't think we have a lot of Buccaneers fans that listen to that, but it is the truth. So Brian Gunacus helped build that roster. Ted Thompson had a lot to do with it as well. 
but Matt LaFleur's coaching got them there. Matt LaFleur is, I believe, only lost what, seven games, eight games total as a NFL coach. He's not lost double-digit games as a coach in two years. Matt LaFleur's only lost six regular season games. We didn't think the Packers could repeat 13-3 the following year. I said it on this podcast. There's a daily tap back in like August where I was like, look, there's going to be some natural regression that's going to happen. It's just, it's part of football. It's hard to like get back to that mountaintop. And Matt LaFleur fucking did it. He's a really good coach. He is a special coach. And if it starts coming out that he's more on Team Rogers' side than he is on the front office side, that makes things a lot more messy and changes the entire dynamic of this whole thing. Because then it probably means Brian Gunnikus has to go. And that, to me, would not be setting a precedent. That, to me, would be saying, all right, this coach that we have has led us to two NFC Championship games in two years. I, he has a good eye for talent. He knows what he's doing. We will give him control of the roster, and he'll have a GM that's kind of underneath him that kind of helps out with the day-to-day minutia, and so he doesn't get burned out. So we don't have a Mike Sherman situation. Because I do think, let's do the, let's finish this off. Finish the thought off. Rogers goes till forty. They try to trade Jordan Love, and so be it. Because Jordan Love probably won't stick around till Rogers is forty. Now, some might say, who are Packer historians, and God knows we have a lot of Packer historians. People are always on their Packer A game. We'll say, well, what about Mike Sherman? Isn't this exactly what happened with, with Brett Favre? Because Mike Sherman was a yes man to Brett Favre, and Mike Sherman became the GM and did everything that Brett Favre wanted him to do for three years. And Mike Sherman was pretty bad by the hit at the end of his tenure in Green Bay and he got fired and then brought Mike McCarthy and then started to disintegrate the relationship between Mike, Mike McCarthy, Brett Favre and Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. Now that is true, but I will also say Matt LaFleur has had more success than Mike Sherman. Matt LaFleur looks like a competent head coach. I don't think that Matt LaFleur is going to be in the same spot as Mike Sherman. History does have a chance to repeat itself. Sure. But I think this is different. And you look at the tree where Matt LaFleur comes under, it's the Shanahan tree. Mike Shanahan had a lot of control over rosters. I believe he had roster control in a lot of his 10 years, Denver, Washington. Kyle Shanahan has control of his roster. John Lynch and him are side by side, but I believe he has control of the roster. Sean McVay, who's an offshoot of that, has some has a lot of control, has a lot of say and what his roster looks like. The guys, all of those guys, even if they don't have control, they are so on the same page and well-connected. Lynch and Shanahan are a team. I think they always wanted to draft Trey Lance, even though there was all the Mac Jones smoke. Trey Lance was, I think, the guy that Shanahan and Lynch wanted. Now, I know that Lynch, Shanahan might have wanted Mac Jones. Who knows, right? But I think that was a massive smokescreen they didn't really need to do. But I think they always wanted Trey Lance. And so Shanahan and Lynch on the same page. McVay and Les Snead are on the same page. Those are some of his good buddies. Robert Salah, Joe Douglas, it's really early. But I'm sure right now they're on the same page. But it's a new relationship. 
like any other new relationship, it's going to be great. You're going to have a ton of sex. It's going to feel good. Not saying they're going. But you know what I mean? The honeymoon stage is a real thing. Now you have Matt LaFleur, who's probably in group chats or chatting with these guys on and off, maybe playing a little golf. And he's talking about his relationship. And he's like, I don't know, man. This Gunakus guy doesn't tell me anything. Like, I didn't know we were taking Jordan Love. I was cool with it, but I scouted him. I, I gave Brian some thoughts on it, and and but I didn't think we would do that. I thought we were going to maybe trade down for a receiver. I don't know. And, and it's like, well, you weren't in constant contact. Like, I was doing this. I was doing that. And so Matt LaFleur holds the keys. If Matt LaFleur wants Brian Gunakus gone, I think Brian Gunakus is gone. And hell, I'll even say this. I'll even go this far. And I don't know if Matt LaFleur is at this level yet. But if Matt LaFleur gets in with a couple board members and kind of starts saying, are you guys really wanting Mark Murphy to be here? He could maybe move Mark Murphy out. Maybe that's a little too strong. Maybe that's a little too Game of Thrones-ish. But I also think Mark Murphy needs to go. I don't think it's just Gunakus. If Gunakus leaves, I think Murphy will go after. And I don't think it's because they're a tandem. Rather, a lot of people are going to look at it and say, you know what? This, this, is, this relationship isn't working. This isn't working anymore. And things kind of need to change. And we need to, make, we need to make some wholesale changes at the front office. And the way we've been doing it is no longer, it no longer works. So this is far from over. There's going to be backstabbing. There's going to be a lot more drama that comes out of this, of this sort of relationship, shall we say. And it's, far, like I said, far from over. And Matt LaFleur can really make the final decision here on what happens. And who knows? Maybe it, it lasts into the season and he tells Rodgers, look, we're going to play this out and we're going to get Brian Gunacus out of here before the end of the year. Because I believe they would rather the two verse one. And I don't think Murphy would dig his heels in that much. Because if you're really going to start all over and release one of the more successful top three, you know, LaFleur like resigns right after year three, even if maybe it's not to the level of the last two years, he's going to be picked up immediately. Whoever needs a new coach will have Matt LaFleur as their head coach in the NFL. It'll be that quick. So there's no way. Mark Murphy will go down with the ship like this. Trust me. I, I, I believe that. And I think the two theories, as it stands today, I was probably 80 to, to 90% into last dance theory until this listening to Jason talk about Lafleur sort of not being fully there with Gunacus. Now I'm kind of more on last dance 65-35. We'll update the log as, as the weeks go on. But let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers before we ride out of here. The Milwaukee Brewers had a good weekend. They swept the Arizona Dimebacks. Dimebacks, worst team in baseball. The Brewers took care of business. The Brewers did exactly what you wanted them to do against the Detroit Tigers and the Arizona Dimebacks. They went 5-1. and one. They are 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. They are the hottest team in baseball. The Brewers are rolling right now, and you love to see it. Say it's a really encouraging sign. The Brewers are doing what we hoped once the schedule got a little easier. Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, and Corbin Burns are all dominating. They're all finding themselves in the top 10 
of almost all the pitching staffs, pitching statistics. Many people think that Woodruff and Burns are going to be in the Cy Young conversation, and I think Peralta should be right there as well. I think all three of them deserve recognition to be in Cy Young consideration at this point. And when you have three aces, it's really hard to beat you. The Diamondbacks know firsthand. When you stack it up in a four-game series and facing Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns, good luck. You're lucky to get one. And if you get one, that's great. You get two, it's house money. You get three, it's probably like I've aliens landed on the, on this earth. And a part of me was a little worried about the Brewers pitching staff after all the news from Sports Illustrated that come out came out about the resin and all the different substances that pitchers were using to get an advantage. Now, the dramatic headline was, it's just as bad as steroids. I don't know if I'd go that far. It's just some sunscreen. We saw Eddie from, um, that, is his name Eddie? from major league. I got to look that up. Uh, the pitcher from major league did that all throughout the, the game. So I don't know, it's been around in baseball for a long time, similar to a lot of the other kind of cheating stuff in baseball that we have seen throughout the years that have came down hard on teams like the Houston Astros, Eddie Harris. Yes. Eddie Harris was the name of the pitcher for the Cleveland Indians back in major league. So I did worry, was this going to affect the Brewers pitching staff? So far, hasn't that much. Corbin Burns looked great. He had 13 strikeouts. Freddie Peralta nearly pitched a no-hitter before baseball had put in this new rule. Now, Brandon Woodruff struggled a little bit. Brandon Woodruff did not have as good of a start as we've seen in the past few, few games. It was the first time that Brandon Woodruff had really struggled. Now, the speculative the conspiracy theorist would say oh well he was obviously doctoring the baseball and all of a sudden just nothing is working for him anymore and his spin rates that went through the roof that's the reason why and Brandon Woodruff struggled against the lowly Diamondbacks team now the more realistic the more probably what happened was Brandon Woodruff was probably due for a bad start. And that really wasn't even a bad start. He gave up two runs. He gave up a home run. He kind of labored out there. But he had had, what, 10 straight quality starts? At some point, you're going to have a fuck-up. He had the lowest BABIP in all of baseball. It means he's gotten extremely lucky this year. The luck wasn't there. Guess who has one of the lowest BABIPs right now? Freddie Peralta. Does that probably mean at some point there is a blow-up start for Freddie lurking? Yeah, probably. Because Babbitt always sort of water always finds its level. So I'm not going to be surprised if Peralta gets banged up in a, in a game in the next few weeks. And I'll say, well, he has one of the lowest Babbitts in baseball. I'm not surprised. As for Woodruff, you know, the other thing to consider is it was a really fucking hot day. It was steaming hot on Saturday afternoon. They, these guys have not played in those temperatures all year. Brandon Woodruff does like the heat. He plays well in the summer. But that first time you're out in that summer heat hits different. It's, it just does. You feel it so much more than you do once you're into July or August and you're acclimated to it. I know because I don't have an air conditioner in my house. I basically was just living in a sauna for three or four days. It sucks, but guess what? It toughens you up as the as it goes on. It really does. Everybody's going to get used to it. Even my dog included, who's full of fucking fur. 
we all will get used to it. And that's the same with Woodruff. And I know it's like, wow, that's a weird comparison, but it's true. It's just tough to play in those conditions. And the ball was flying. I mean, 12 runs were scored in that game. That's, that's a lot for Brandon Woodruff start. I I bet we could do the math. That's probably more runs that were scored in like multiple Brandon Woodruff starts, maybe three or four, five potentially. So I'm not ready to be like, okay, Brandon Woodruff was obviously cheating. Now, if this continues for a month, and let's say he just really struggles, then yeah, I think we got to ask some questions. I think we have to at least be speculative about it. But will I give a shit if Brandon Woodruff did anything? Absolutely not. I don't care. Look, I'm on the hill that Ryan Braun took HGH because the Brewers were in a division race. They were one of the best teams in baseball. And Ryan Braun knew that if he had to sit out for his calf injury, A, he would be probably out of the MVP running because he was neck and neck with Matt Kemp. And that's true. Matt Kemp would have won MVP. And he was trying to make sure the Brewers won the division title. Those are the reasons why Ryan Braun took HGH. Not because he wanted a competitive advantage. He was using it as an injury healer. Not in some of the ways that people thought. And so Brandon Woodruff taking this and making it into, you know, him being this successful pitcher. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate on him for that. Garrett Cole looks like he might've done that. Like Garrett Cole, the day after they're like, all right, we're going to start enforcing this a lot harder. Garrett Cole gives up five runs. Now Devil Rays kind of have his number. Devil Rays are playing really good baseball, but Garrett Cole's one to watch. But again, I'm not going to come down on any of these guys. I don't give a shit. Cheat to win. You, you can bend the edges a little bit. None of these kids are going to say, all right, because Brandon Woodruff used some resin, I'm going to also use resin on my balls and know exactly what I'm doing. I had to laugh. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just it, – it would be – there would be a lot of pearl clutchers if this did happen. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. So I'm not ready to throw out all of what Brandon Woodruff done. I'm willing to chalk that up to a bad start. And shit does happen like that from time to time. As for the Brewers week, they play a red hot Cincinnati team tomorrow night um, or tonight. As this tapes on Tuesday, it will be Adrian Hauser versus Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray doesn't get a ton of run support. Adrian Hauser had a pretty, had a decent start uh, the last time out. He didn't start. He, he pitched out of the bullpen for five innings. He actually did really well out of that spot. Hopefully he can keep that up. You kind of want to preserve what's going on outside of Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff. Now you need one more person to step up. You have one more person to step up, and you're really starting to cook with peanut oil here. And after Hauser Gray, you have Fred Anderson versus Vladimir Gutierrez on Wednesday night. Anderson, been okay. Reds have really struggled against left-handers this year. Uh, Gutierrez has looked good so far this season. Um, but Brewers are playing pretty good baseball. And then you have an afternoon game featuring Freddie Peralta and Luis Castillo on Thursday after morning, really, 11.30 start there. Peralta-Castillo should be a really fun matchup. Castillo kind of started to finally look like he might have found something in his last start, let's hope that that was just a blip and he's not getting hot here. And then you go home to play Pittsburgh for a weekend series. Again, this is another one where the Brewers should be able to win 
four out of their next six games. They do that great. I'd even take a three and three week. Cincinnati's hot. You're going to their stadium. Their stadium can be really dumb at times. So I'd be okay if the Brewers ended up with a three and three split for the rest of the week. We'll see. I, I, Oh, I, I didn't want to talk about Keston Hero really quick. I was going to wrap up the show, but I, I did, I'd be remiss to not talk Keston Hero. He gets demoted again to AAA. Look, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think there'll be a lot of people that will make a big deal out of it. Keston should be thankful that Aaron Rodgers is not showing up to minicamp. He should be thankful the Bucs got beat by 39 points because there won't be a lot of Keston Hero talk tomorrow. But I will say this. Keston Hero just needs to kind of get it between the eyes. Like we talked about Giannis earlier in the show, he just needs to kind of dial it in a little bit more between the years. And if he does, it's going to work out really well for him. And I just think he needs consistent at-bats. And maybe the Brewers rushed him a little bit because their offense was really struggling. They needed a spark, and that's where they brought up Hira, hoping that he'd be ready to go. It's obvious he needs a little more time out there. He needs a more consistent at-bats. He needs to see it better. And then the Brewers need to find a situation to put him in to say, all right, you're going to be batting the next three games no matter what. Left-handers, right-handers, it doesn't matter. We're going to get you out there. So let's hope that's what the Brewers do. Let's hope that's what, what kind of the, the thought is. I would be surprised if we, we see Hero back before the end of the month. I think Brewers feel pretty good at where they're, where they're at right now with their, with their lineup. Right now, I don't know who plays first base when you, you have a lefty up. I don't know. Maybe it's Travis Shaw and you move Daniel Robertson to the third base, or maybe Daniel Robinson's your first baseman. I'm not sure. We don't know the corresponding move. Zach Green would be a great corresponding move for the Brewers. I think Zach Green deserves a shot. And I, I don't know if he plays first base. He definitely plays third. Zach Green deserves a shot here to show what he, ha- what he has. And if Zach Green can be a, a real factor for this Milwaukee Brewer team, or if he's just the quad A guy, which he certainly could be. He, you know, he's kind of a nobody, right? We, we don't know what, what you're getting out of Zach Green. He, but he's been special. He's been really special for this Milwaukee Brewers team so far. He's been a career minor leaguer, for those wondering. He's 27 years old right now, but just absolutely murdering the baseball. Nine home runs. He's only batting 233. So maybe everybody – I've seen so many Zach Green tweets, and it's like, dude's 27. He has nine home runs and only 21 hits. Why are people getting all excited about Zach Green? See, that's why, folks, you do the research. You don't just hang out on Twitter all day. All right. Take care of yourselves. Have a great Tuesday. We'll be back with Daily Tap tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll see Bucks. I'm sure there'll be some Packers takes. We'll talk Brewers Reds from Tuesday night. All that and much more. Have a good one. Oh, I also want to talk let, let's go. Has, let's go as a term has jumped the shark. We'll we'll talk about that. Maybe I mean, that might be a topic for Mitch on Friday if we get a little more than 30 minutes. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a good Tuesday. Back tomorrow. Bye.